You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, the baptism of Jesus we want to consider in two ways. First, how it's different, and second, how it is the same. First, the uniqueness of Jesus' baptism. And we want to just know this first, that when Jesus is baptized, he is set apart for his work as Savior. This is his ordination. It is the the old word in Hebrew, Messiah, means anointed one. And this goes back to the practice, especially appointed uh, by God through Moses, of setting someone into the office with oil. They would take a a king or a priest, and for them to be enter into the office, they would put oil on top of them. That's why we have that funny psalm that says, Oh, behold how good and beautiful it is when brothers dwell together. It's like the oil dripping off the beard of Aaron. And you think, that can't be beautiful at all. And yet it was beautiful because the oil dripping off of the beard of Aaron put Aaron into the office of high priest. The prophets would do the anointing in the Old Testament. Both the kings and the priests would be set apart so that there were lots of, in the Old Testament, little messiahs. Those who were anointed and set into the office. All of them pointing to the big capital M Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what Christ means. Christ is simply the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Christ means the anointed one in Greek. That's why we sometimes talk about christening. That's to anoint someone along with their baptism. That's the old custom in the church. So when we speak of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're referring to him first by his name, his proper name, Jesus, and then by his office, Christ, Messiah, or anointed one. Jesus was not anointed with oil for the office. He was anointed with water and the Spirit. He was put into the office of Christ. So if you would have met Jesus before his baptism by John, you would have just called him Jesus. (laughs) But it's at this point that he takes up the work of being the Christ. He is, as he was prophesied, Psalm 45, anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. So that even later in his ministry, when Jesus was cleansing the temple, right, at the first day of Holy Week, they said, by what authority are you doing this? And Jesus went back and asked them, well, by whose authority was John baptizing? In other words, Jesus' authority to be there in the temple, to teach God's word, to be working and doing all of these things, goes back to him being put in the office by John the Baptist. Which is why we have 30 years of the life of Jesus and hardly a word about it. The apostles, the the evangelists, take up their work of telling us about Jesus when he's baptized because that's when Jesus takes up the work of being the Savior. That's the first thing. But there's something even more going on in the baptism of Jesus. And this has to do with the riddle that Jesus tells right in the middle of it. I don't know if I should admit this, this this text, the baptism of Jesus, we hardly ever have because it's always the eighth day after Epiphany and it hardly ever falls on a Sunday. So I can't I can actually remember the last time I preached this. 
Uh, but I, re- I do remember the first time I preached on this text because it was the first sermon I ever preached it, at seminary. This was our preaching class 101, first assignment, Matthew chapter 3, baptism of Jesus. Whew, and it's tricky. Because right in the middle, right in the middle of the text, Jesus tells a riddle. He comes to John to be baptized, and John looks at Jesus and says, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fill up, to fulfill all righteousness. So John consents, and he baptizes Jesus. Now, what does this mean? To fill up all righteousness. And why is it convinced John? Here's as, this is as good as I can get. The, the, this is the picture, I think, to help understand what Jesus is teaching here. So if you could use your imagination and imagine the Jordan River, but it has two nice slopes on either side, and on one side is a flock of sheep, and on the other side it's empty. So this flock of sheep, and this flock of sheep on the side of the hill is simply filthy. I think I might have preached this to you guys before. So you'll have to excuse me, but I just can't think of a better way to explain it. This filthy sheep, and to get them, they, you, they should be in your imagination as filthy as they possibly can be. I mean, flies covered in mud, just, just they, they, they stink, they're mean to each other, they're snapping at each other and biting each other, so they're covered in tar and filth and everything else like this. And one by one, John the Baptist is in the Jordan River and he takes these sheep and he dips them in the water and pulls them out, and they're just pristine, gleaming white. There's not a speck left on them. They smell like roses. <laughs> Their teeth are shiny. I mean, they're just beautiful sheep. Just one, and, just, and he puts them on the other side of the river, and one by one, John is dipping these sheep in the water and pulling them out perfect and clean and gorgeous. Well, as John is doing this work, down to the edge of the river comes one sheep. In the midst of this flock comes one sheep that is already gleaming white. In fact, so so white and pure and perfect that John can hardly even see him. He's so radiant. There's not, it, it, it's, it's, he's repelling the, the filth from all of the other sheep. He's so clean. And he comes down to the river and looks at John and like it's his turn. And John says, you don't need this. And this sheep says, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So John says, all right. And he takes this sheep and he puts it in the water. And now watch. All of the other filth and nastiness that's like an oil slick on top of the Jordan River, all of it is absorbed into this one. And he is pulled out of the water, dirtier, filthier, more stained and stinky, more wounded than all of the other sheep all put together. He, pull, he pulls this one out of the water and he puts him on the edge and then he preaches... Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that all of the sin and filth and nastiness from all of the other sheep is on Him. It's not in the water. It's not on the sheep. It's on Him. 
Jesus is the one who bears our... That's what it means to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. It means to be the one that carries our sins, to be stricken and smitten for us, to bear our afflictions, to suffer for them. And when he's baptized, he takes up that work. He begins the work of carrying our sins, and and as he sets them on the side of the river, that path that he's on leads straight to the cross where he would finally be the one who would bear all of our sins away from us, suffering the wrath of God in our place. Now, this is what happens then when Jesus is baptized. He's not not baptized to be saved. He's baptized so that he can begin the work of saving. See? So that he can begin his work of being our Savior. He can begin the work of bearing our sins. He can begin the work of carrying our iniquities. He can begin the work that will end on the cross. He fulfills all righteousness. He's perfect in every way, but not he, he's not perfect in every way just for himself. He's perfect in every way for you so that you can be saved. In fact, this is a, a way that... that uh, Luther wrote this famous prayer. It's called the Flood Prayer when he was revising the baptismal rite in the Reformation. And one of the things that he says in that prayer is that it's a prayer to the Lord. It says, By the baptism of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified all waters to be a pure washing away of sin. So that when Jesus goes to be baptized, he makes a way for you and I to be baptized. When Jesus goes into the Jordan River, and especially when he goes onto the cross, he makes a way to deliver to us the forgiveness of sins. And that's what baptism is. It's the delivery of the forgiveness of sins. Now, not for Jesus, who again, didn't need it. John saw that, and we should see it too. Jesus didn't need to be baptized so that his sins would be forgiven. Jesus needed to be baptized so that your sins can be forgiven. And here we have a beautiful distinction. The simple distinction between the winning of forgiveness and the delivery of forgiveness. Jesus, your Jesus, won the forgiveness of sins by his baptism, by his suffering, by his passion, by his blood, by his death, so that he can deliver the forgiveness of sins to you in your baptism. So that the baptismal font is a fountain filled with blood that washes away your sins. There's a, you remember that old hymn? We don't sing this hymn enough. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's side and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So it is with you. Because of the baptism and death of Jesus, your baptism makes you whole. And now we get to think about our own baptism and the way that That's the uniqueness of the baptism of Jesus, but there is a way that there is a connection between the two. Jesus says after his death and after his resurrection, he says to his apostles who had fallen on the ground and worshipped him, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Let Let me back up. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to treasure everything that I've told you. And look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I want to, if you could use your imagination again, I want you to go, I want you to, go to the mountain where Jesus has risen from the dead and he's about to ascend into heaven and he's just and he's gathered you there with his disciples and he's just told you this I have all authority in heaven and on earth now that is quite a significant thing to say and the question that you're asking at that point is well Jesus what are you going to do with all that authority how are how are you going to spend it how are you going to use it are you going to are you going to establish a throne and a kingdom right here in Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans? That's what we're hoping you're going to do with all your authority. Or are you going to bring an end, an end to, to war and violence and sickness and poverty? Are you going to make us all live in peace and, and joy and unending pleasure and happiness? Jesus, you have all authority on heaven and earth. What are you going to do with it? And Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to baptize. And I'm going to send you to teach. Now, I'm not sure that that's what you and I would do if we had all authority in heaven and on earth. It's a good thing God didn't give that authority to you. He gave it to Jesus. So that when we were baptized, Jesus was exercising the authority that He has over the sun and the moon and the stars and the cosmos and the heights and the depths and everything else created. His authority in heaven and on earth was brought to bear on you when you were baptized so that you were set free from sin and death. You were saved and rescued and delivered and your sins were forgiven. It's astonishing. The gifts that Jesus gives in baptism. It, and we, we hardly can see it. It looks like water splashed on a forehead, and yet it is the exercise of the eternal dominion of Jesus. In your baptism, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, in your baptism, you were buried with Christ. You were put in the tomb with Him. Wrapped hastily and tossed there before the sunset. And then just as Jesus was buried, you also were raised with Him. By the power that He was raised from the dead, you, you now live a new life. That means, that means that everything changes when you're baptized. I am baptized is how we're to say it. Remember, there's this famous story when the devil was coming to trouble Martin Luther, and he, and he took a knife and he wrote into the table, I am baptized. I'm sure Katie Luther loved that <laughs> on the dining room table. I am baptized. This is an ongoing reality. It's how we fight against the devil. It's how we stand in the Lord's mercy. It's how we claim our inheritance as His children. I'm baptized. And it's not I was baptized. It has ongoing significance. You are the baptized of Jesus. 
which means that death and hell and the devil have no claim over you. You were buried, and now you are raised, and you walk in a newness of life. And the one who has done this for you is Jesus himself. Now, I think this is the most important point that we need to have about baptism. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is talking about marriage and the husbands and wives and how that is with Christ and the church. And he says that Jesus cleansed the church with the washing of the water and the word. That means that baptism was not your doing. It wasn't the pastor's doing. It wasn't the water's doing. The one who acts in baptism is none other than Jesus Christ himself, who takes the water and the word, and he uses it to wash you, to purify you, to make you holy and perfect, without spot or blemish, it says in the text. He makes you, by baptism, delightful in His eyes so that, so that God the Father looks at you and sees you according, not according to your flesh, not according to your sins, not according to your failures, not according to your weaknesses, not according to your fears, not according to your sicknesses and your death and your dying, not according to your temptation. Jesus, God the Father, through Jesus Christ, looks at you and sees you as holy. perfect. Listen to this. He sees you as beautiful in His sight. And He delights in you. And dear saints, this is where our baptism comes right back to the baptism of Jesus. I mean, I don't know what you expect to hear from heaven when it's time for the voice of God to sound forth. When God addresses you, I I don't know what you expect to hear. Something like, you are a sinner. You are condemned. You deserve to die. You are far from me. You are weak. You are an embarrassment. I'm ashamed of you. I, I mean, I don't know what you expect to hear. But I do know what you will hear. Because you're baptized. Because the blood of Jesus has taken away all your sins. Because through the water and the word, you are adopted into the family of God. And you are perfected in every way. When heaven opens up and the voice of God booms down to you, it will be the same thing that God the Father said to Jesus. That you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You are God's beloved child. He is pleased with you. And nothing can take that away from you. It's been sealed to you. It's been bound up to you. It's been written in the sign of the cross on your forehead and on your heart because you are the baptized. You are the washed. You are the cleansed. You are the perfected. You are the forgiven. You are the children of God. God be praised.
God be praised that your Jesus stood in the water to be baptized by John. And God be praised that Jesus in the waters baptized you and claimed you as his own. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.